I'm Diane Lee, and this is Never Forget What They Did. On March 12, 2020, the WHO declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. In July 2020, the Australian government actively prevented its citizens and permanent residents returning home from overseas or interstate. When we got back, they locked us up and made us pay. These are our stories because we must never forget what they did. A Kiwi, but now back in New Zealand, Raywin was living in Victoria with her husband when the pandemic was declared. With most of her family in New Zealand, including parents and children, being able to leave Australia quickly was a concern. Towards the end of 2020, and between work contracts, Raywin decided to return to New Zealand, but because of the flight caps, she didn't get there until May 2021. Worried that Australia would close its borders to New Zealand, she felt she had no choice but to go and she ended up being stuck for eight months. To return to Victoria, she flew into Brisbane where she was forced into hotel quarantine. This is Raywin's story. I'm in New Zealand at the moment. I was living in the house with my husband and just family in Riddles Creek and I had just taken on a position of house manager at a community house. Uh, At the time, my feelings and thoughts immediately went towards my work because it was all about how to change the service delivery, how to still reach our community members, that kind of thing. But for myself, I was was a little bit perplexed and thought it just seems quite sudden that they're doing this and it they didn't give a lot of background. I mean, they, they mentioned the basics, obviously, but a lot happened that wasn't really fully explained to me. And I, it just got me thinking, hmm. it was like, well, this is quite sudden. There's a lot of factors they maybe haven't considered and they're, they're leaving a lot of people hanging, really, like vulnerable community members and people like that. And it seems like a panic response rather than a measured response to me at the time. Um, the people that were deciding what we'd do with our community houses was the the health, obviously, the people involved with all the, the health in the state. And it just seemed like a big panic from them without a lot of rational thought. Do you remember Morrison's media conference on March 18? Yeah, yeah. I had another look of it to refresh my memory as well. And wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a big concern for me. Um, because at the time, still, um, all my parents and my children, most of my family are in New Zealand. And it just got me thinking then, if I have to go quickly, I can't, you know, so that, that the first thoughts of that were coming to mind. So it's like the reverse of people that were overseas already, I guess, and they were probably thinking, what, what's how I have to come back, but I had the reverse. <laughs> Not only were citizens and permanent residents barred from entering Australia, they were also not permitted to leave. The reasoning, as far as we could work out, was because they would eventually want to come back and possibly bring COVID with them. At that point, I was thinking, well, I don't think I'll be able to go anywhere for a while, so let's 
sit back and see what pans out at, at that point. I was thinking along those lines, yeah. So at what point did you decide that you needed to go back to New Zealand? Done a few other jobs during working from home and all that sort of thing. And at the end of 2020, I thought, I've got to go. I've got to try and get back and just see what's happening. I just had a bad feeling it wasn't going to end for a while. And I'd just finished a contract and I was like, yeah, I'm going to try and go back, I think. This then they were doing the same thing in New Zealand. You had to enter a lottery system to get a flight. So you had to go through that rigmarole and it, it was just like it is here. They were just releasing very little. You really had to get in there like winning lotto really it was and people were scrambling every time they got released. You had to find the website for that and there wasn't always notification of it but you just had to be on the spot really. It's a matter of waiting until I was able. So May 2021, I was able to get on a flight. So that's that's quite a few months, isn't it? Yeah, for availability and things like that. But I was quite fortunate because I had a, had a home in Australia and things, so I could just stay put, not working, but so being out of work because I couldn't make any definite plans. But I was lucky, lucky enough to have the support. Uh, probably the one of the hardest things was five days before I flew out, my father-in-law passed away. So I had to sort of leave my husband. The whole situation was making people pick. You know, you had to go, but you sort of wanted to stay and help as well. So you had to have hard conversations around that kind of thing. But I just keep thinking, if I don't get out now, I'm not going to get out. It's all going to shut again. That was the feeling that I had. Yeah, I needed to come back and see my children and my parents and make sure they were okay because they were here a bit bewildered by it all, like most people were, that hadn't really had any inside things or intel or, yeah, they just weren't sure what was happening. Yeah, unless you were tuned into it and you had platforms where you could go and talk about it with other people that were affected. Yeah, there was no information in general. And I guess the thing is, unless it directly affected you, then, you know, there, was, there wasn't really a need to know. You weren't going to go looking for that information. Yeah, I mean, there was the same talk over here as in Australia when people were accusing people of just wanting to go for a nice holiday and not realising what was actually driving them to go and the circumstances surrounding it. There wasn't a nuanced discussion. I mean, a lot of people actually said, well, it was your choice to be overseas or your choice to go or whatever it was. They didn't understand that people really did not have a choice and if they wanted to go, they just had to go. So at the same time as the international flight caps came in, the state governments introduced a fee for hotel quarantine. Did that affect at all? When I came over at that time, I managed to get in, but two days later the country shut. So I was stuck here for, well, not stuck here because I wanted to be with my family anyway, for seven months. And coming back, they told me I'd have to get on a certain flight. And the last one was going at the end of December last year, so 2021. With a life in Australia as well as New Zealand, Raywin, like thousands of others, was stuck. The travel bubble that had opened up between the two countries, while good in theory, turned out to be a travel trap 
as panicking political leaders slammed borders shut. So two days after I got back, they shut down and they shut down properly on my birthday in August. <laughs> They're coming back. I tried to sort out a flight. Um, they charged a crazy amount of money for it. Not as bad as some of these poor people coming from further away, but bad enough. They told me that was the only flight and I only got that because I went as high as I could in Air New Zealand and told them how I felt about the whole thing. And that's the only reason I got access to the flight. And so we flew out and before I did, I had to do all the tests, which added another $200 to everything. So that, that was for the test. I had to get on a certain plane. Once we got on the plane, they told everybody it was a mixed flight anyhow. So it didn't matter whether you were vaccinated or not on that plane. Did they bring in the vaccination rules at that particular point in time? So not only testing, but vaccination rules? It was crazy over here, really crazy, yeah. So to actually get on that flight, did you have to do, and I know that you said you went higher up, but did you have to, I mean, were there any kind of barriers to logistically making that flight? Like, did you have to, you know, drive or travel within New Zealand to actually make that particular flight back to Australia? To make that flight, um, I had to test 24 hours, no, 48 hours beforehand. And one of the only days I could was on Christmas Day. So I had to arrange that and find a place that was testing and open on Christmas Day. So I had to travel not that far, probably about an hour or so down, down towards Wellington to get that done and then wait for the results and then go travel another hour to get the plane on the day. But they, they couldn't fly me into Victoria. They said they were only going to fly us to Perth or Queensland. So I, I booked to Queensland. Brisbane Airport, they separated the people on the plane into vaccinated, unvaccinated. Uh, vaccinated people just got to go through normal customs and off, off into the world. Um, the rest got herded into a little area that was cordoned off in the airport with police and army and attendant, all those people there. Um, we got made to sign some paperwork. I can't even remember what it said because I was just, yeah, everybody was just exhausted by that point and wondering what was happening. Yeah, and they, they wouldn't tell us where we were going. So we were just sitting waiting really until they get on the bus. So I think they sent all the families into Brisbane and the rest us single people went out to the Gold Coast, so we got bussed out there. So how long did that process take from when you um, left the airport to when you got on the bus and then to the actual hotel? That would have been a couple of hours probably. And they got us there and they gave us a sandwich, I think, at the reception and the police escorted us up to our rooms and shut us in there. What in days. Some hotels, knowing that fresh air was a basic human right, decided to charge a premium for balconies, hundreds of dollars extra. In other hotels, getting a room with a balcony was just luck. I was probably better off than a lot of people because there was a balcony and I, I could access fresh air, which was really good. But um, I don't like heights. I'm scared of heights. And every time I went outside, I felt like I was going to fall off or jump off or, <laughs> or something. How far up were you? 14 floors. 
But the hardest thing was at night. Um, I just didn't like the idea of being shut into a place where you couldn't see people because everybody had their hazmat on. They're all fully covered all the time. You couldn't see them. You didn't know who they were. You didn't know who had access to your room, that type of thing. And that, that really bothered me. How, how did you overcome that from, a, from a, I guess, a mental health perspective? Yeah, just um, I had my yoga mat with me, which was nice. So I was able to stretch out and do a bit of exercise. But yeah, just the thought anything could happen in here, they could be any people and just the complete silence all the time. I mean, I like silence and quiet, but you couldn't hear anything. You know, in a normal hotel, you can usually hear a bit of noise in the corridor or something and in, for example, South Australia, there are a number of sexual assaults where security guards or security actually, there are a couple of rapes in hotel quarantine. And it was kind of hush-tush, but it did make the news, but it wasn't really, you know, publicised, I don't think. The perfect environment for it because nobody knows who's accessing the room and who they are and they could be doing anything. And somebody's making your food so anybody could put things in there if they wanted to. I mean, I know that sounds a bit paranoid, but it's possible. One of the complaints about hotel quarantine was the food. Put simply, it was awful. Many people decided to shop for groceries online and have them delivered in order to eat more nutritious meals. Most hotels, however, didn't supply microwaves, so detainees were forced to buy one, another expense. Um, I couldn't eat it, so I ordered my own. I'd end up getting shopping in from Coles, so I was able to do that at least, yeah. But no, that, that food, and I complained about it a few times to the wellness people when they rang up. I had two phone calls. Did you get mental health checks? Um, and by that I mean, did you get the daily health checks as well? No, no. So how do people know that you were okay? Well, that's it. I, I mean, they just didn't seem to be too bothered. I mean, I, I think I got a couple of calls, one a week, but certainly not every day. My parents called me every day, which was nice to see what was happening. And But no, no official calls. And yeah, it was quite limited communication from officials. Yeah, I'm the sort of person who has to get out of the house every day and go walking and that type of thing. I used to put my headphones on and just walk up and down on the carpet and just had to do that, just had to move. Meanwhile, while we were being detained in hotels and were testing negative, the number of cases of Omicron in the general community were climbing. The hypocrisy was that those who domestically acquired COVID were allowed to self-isolate at home. Yeah, that was the irony because um, as soon as we'd got there, really, and they'd shut us all in there, it was on the news everywhere that it had hit really badly Omicron in Brisbane. Irony, honestly. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with us. And yeah, you know, here we are stuck here. It was a massive power grab for a lot of the premiers. 
there was no logical, I mean, I come from a little bit of a health background and it didn't make sense the whole way through to me. It was just over the top. The rules contradicted each other. The second they started coming in was silly qualifications and it was just like, no, this is silly. I got into some interesting discussions on social media about it. Um, <laughs> there were some people who just really didn't understand, but I think the general consensus was, well, as long as it's not affecting me, I don't really care what's happening to you people. And that's a shame. Like as long as we're all good, it's fine. Um, I didn't have any negative feedback from friends and family, which has been really good. Everybody's been on board. and. With regards to the hotel quarantine fee, what did you think about that when that was announced? Because that was announced at the same time as the international flight caps by Morrison and the States. What were your thoughts around that? I thought it was coming in to solely prop up the hospitality industry because they could see that they weren't going to get a lot of work in the foreseeable future. And I think that's the only reason they did it. I take exception to being extorted and they itemised mine and I did not eat $900 worth of food. Yeah, Queensland Health did, they itemised it for us, which made it even more laughable. So, um, I've had some dirty emails that are getting dirtier, I've, up to number six now, I think. They gave me one the other day saying either do a payment plan or plan full, come on, hurry up. They've just said if I want to contest, I need to talk to the ombudsman and just things like that. But they've also said they haven't received any correspondence from me and they've received at least five lots. I've heard people haven't had a, anything happen with via the ombudsman, so probably not him. Um, all I've done is I invoiced Queensland Health myself. Yeah, but just I just itemised, you know, mental anguish, loss of opportunity, just things like that on top of everything else. Yeah. It's good enough for them. <laughs> when you were let out of um, hotel quarantine, what was the process like for you to get back into into Victoria? At that stage, they were they were letting people in, so that wasn't too bad. I just got picked out of the hotel, literally, and. <laughs> And then, um, yeah, that was the funny thing too because um, they send a police escort up to get you after you, when you're ready to go, but they didn't tell me how I was going to get to Brisbane Airport from out there. I mean, they, they mumbled something vaguely about a coach or something, but they sent a policeman up. He didn't say anything to me. I had to get all my own bags down there. He just kind of watching me. And, was, and so we get down there and, yeah, there's this taxi there and I just assume it's my taxi, so I get in the taxi and... <laughs> Off we go, and yeah, so that was all good. So I made it to the airport. Sort of been shut up for, for that long, and it was just strange being able to walk around. And it wasn't a long period, really, but it seemed like a long time, and it seemed like a lot had changed. Maybe I'd changed. When you're talking to me about when you arrived at the airport in Brisbane and the vaccinated people were basically, you know, off you go, you're fine, whatever, and the people who are unvaccinated, well, no, you have to be obviously contained. That, you know, that's reminiscent of, of Nazi Germany and segregation. Yeah, and they'd just been on, on a plane with us breathing all the same air, so 
made no sense. And they went at great pains to emphasise before we even got on the plane that that was the last unvaccinated flight we'd be able to catch out and that it would be it would be just a plane with, with us on there. But yeah, it's political a whole lot. It was quite funny because um, during lockdown, both here and in Australia, I was working for local government and my local councils and um, people in there just loved Dan Andrews and Justin de Ardern and the work they were doing. You know, they were fantastic people as far as I'm concerned. And it's hard to keep poker face in the Zoom meetings. It's like, really? <laughs> Had a little notepad I used to write all, this, all these notes on. Oh, it's bullshit. And <laughs> So it wouldn't show on your face, yeah. But the amount of people that just swallowed it all because it didn't directly affect them. Um, when I got back to where I was in Victoria, I got headhunted for a job from my old council and they were going through the interview and they, they just assumed I was vaccinated and I'd followed all the rules and all that sort of thing. But when I said I wasn't, they were like, oh, we can't do that then. And I was like, what? Yeah, I got mandated out here before I left. And um, also once I got back, so good times. Like many of us who were abandoned by the government, stranded overseas and forced into hotel quarantine, Raywin has been impacted on many levels. The trauma was real. Financial, obviously, not as horrible as some people, but yeah, have um, lost a lot of work opportunities, I guess, for the financial. Um, physical and mental have been pretty high. Um, my sinuses are just shot after being in a room for that long with aircon. Not very good with aircon anyway, so that's ongoing medications and stuff like that for that. Um, I got really, really sick last March. It wasn't this thing, it, it was something. And um, had a bit of a meltdown during that time as well. So, and that sort of convinced me to come back here, I guess, and just be here, just the way I was treated by medical staff and that sort of thing when I did get sick. There was no hands-on treatment that was sort of right across the room and they stayed over there and it was like, how are you going to examine me if you don't come over here, that sort of thing. So were they in full PPE at that time? No, that's a silly thing. It was just, what are you doing? So what was your meltdown about? Do you mind talking about that? It's okay. Um, yeah, it was just a big mental break, I think, just. Um, just everything, just the circumstances and seeing no way out of it and just, yeah, wondering if anything was ever going to get better, that type of thing. And just that people just didn't hear you really because no one in my family or husband or anyone has ever talked about or wanted to know about the hotel quarantine. You know, they just think you're in there for a bit of a holiday. There was a lady from an American university who was researching some hotel quarantine, how it affected people and that sort of thing. And she contacted me and, yeah, we had a bit of a chat and that was nice. It's just not, it was nice at that point and still now to connect with people who have been in that situation. Unless you've experienced it, you don't know what it's like. You have no understanding of what it was like. And that's what I found as well. Yeah, but even if you sat down with a PowerPoint presentation and all the stuff, they still wouldn't get it. They wouldn't wouldn't understand. So 
something we've all experienced to different degrees. I mean, there have been people who said it, it wasn't a problem, but I wonder for those people, they were saying that while they were in there, but I wonder if it changed once they came out. I think Queensland are after a bit of money, so they feel they need to lean on people a little bit to boost the state coffers and things like that. So they're going to try it on, I think. <laughs> but without a court order, they can't they can't take anything anyway. And why hotels are not purpose-built facilities? Yeah, just a lot about the hypocrisy and just the ridiculousness that people were still buying it and believing that it was everybody's fault, but the government's, it was all happening. And yeah, just, just the fact that they could just disconnect themselves and not be concerned for other people's welfare and weren't even bothered when people were in there and they had to watch people die and not be able to get to them. And that was so close to some people. And there was people that watched people go past them, you know, funeral processions and all sorts of things. They couldn't even get there for those last moments. But it didn't seem to bother people. It was just, oh, bad luck. Yeah. It was interesting from a psychological point of view, but it seemed to come from a lot of these people on the Facebook pages and social media who had things in their feed, you know, all the all the good little rah-rah, positivity, good vibes sort of posts. So I guess in closing, what is the message that you would like to send to the Australian government and Australian people generally? What are your final, final words? And it can be words or a paragraph or as long as you want to make it. So in general, I'd like to suggest to many that compassion, common sense and the understanding that not all humans live in the same circumstances are not out of fashion and should be practised in these times. A lot of people just forgot how to treat other people and other people are humans and they all seem to forget it. And don't let your fear turn you into someone you'll become ashamed of because I think a lot of people will in time. So no, there's no excuse to ever talk about people like that, treat people like that, no excuse for it. And to the, to the government, um, there is great strength in admitting you have made a mistake and that you are wrong. If you cannot admit to your mistakes, you will not learn. Mentally abusing, threatening and gaslighting the people you have been elected to serve will not get you the results you are seeking. My refusal to be extorted is final. The Never Forget What They Did podcast tells our stories because what was done to us should never be forgotten. Music by Les FM on Pixabay. Our stories are released every week on a Sunday. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on dianelee.com.au forward slash never forget.